Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Brian McCray, founder of Mastermind St. Louis. And if you want to learn how to network with other people in the right way, you need to spend some time listening. Put this on your podcast, listen to it every week. Build Your Network Podcast with Travis Chapel is an amazing resource and a must listen. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. What's up, everybody? Super, super stoked to bring on another fantastic guest for you all today. His name is Brian McRae. Brian is a mortgage broker out in the St. Louis, Missouri area. He has built up a very successful business out there, even through the crash of 2007, 2008. And he really was thriving during a period of time where a lot of people were getting out of the industry and going to different things. And so we talk about how he was able to become successful during that period of time when a lot of people were not able to do that. We talk about some practical ways to add value to people, how to build a successful meetup. He has a meetup out there that has hundreds and hundreds of people that show up to it every single month. And now he has corporate sponsors. He has speakers come in and speak to everybody. And and it just built up a a very successful community out there. So we talk about how to do that the right way. And we talk about why building relationships is important, no matter what business that you're in. So I can't wait to get into that interview. But before we do that, as you all know, my current mastermind, is now over and I'm super sad about that. But I'm also really happy to announce the beginning of the new mastermind, Build Your Network Dynasty. A dynasty is defined as a series of members of a family who are distinguished for their success, 
wealth, et cetera. If that doesn't define what we're about to create with this movement, I don't know what does. Trust me, this is going to be huge. If you've ever gotten the slightest bit of value from any of the conversations I've had with the rock stars on this show, and if you've ever wanted to be a part of a family that's set apart from the rest, I implore you to go over to buildyournetwork.co slash dynasty to apply to be a part of this movement. This isn't just a network. It is a dynasty. Trust me, you will not want to miss out on this. I like to reward action takers. So the initial pricing is only good for the first 20 people who jump in. We already had the first 10 people jump in and they got a special price, but now there's another special price for the next 10 people and we're already at 15 people. So we have five spots that are available and those five spots will go to the next five people that reach out. So this is the most affordable product service I've ever put out there. I did that so we can really blow this thing up. And so the barrier to entry is really low. I would love for you to be a part of it. So stop hesitating, take action, do what you know you should be doing, be a part of the dynasty. Head over to buildyournetwork.co slash dynasty to learn how you can get a free dynasty gift upon signing up. I'll see you on the inside. And now let's go ahead and chat with Brian McRae. Brian, super stoked to be here with you, man. Welcome to the show. Travis, I'm jacked. I'm excited for this. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, of course. Of course. It's always cool and interesting to have introductions from previous guests to other people that are now guests on the show because it's a definitely a, a part of the process that I enjoy a lot because it just makes me practice what I preach. So you <laughs> introduced through Scott Beebe, who is a good friend of both of ours and somebody that was on the show, I think a couple of months ago now, yeah. maybe three or four months ago by the time this releases. But yeah, great. Great to have you on, man. I know that you have a lot of awesome, awesome material to get into. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. Take us back to the beginning, Brian. Take us back to like how you got started in, in the business world and what it took for you to be successful when you first got started. Hmm. Well, Travis, I'll try to give you a quick resume version. So I'm from St. Louis. I was born and raised here. My first career was with a uh, small little consumer electronics company called Best Buy. I started with them when I was Ooh. in college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I started with them. And uh, honestly, it was a great job in college. It was actually a commission position at that point in time. But they went through some changes and moved over to the format that you currently see, a non-commission environment. And truthfully, I loved working for the company. They offered me a position. In college, I really didn't have a vision for what college was for. And I, didn't, I, I dropped out. And I'll tie that back in later because it's led to a personal development and seeking of, of information to make, probably to validate myself. But anyway, Wait, so I you're saying that you don't have to graduate college in order to be successful? <laughs> well, it's not advice that I'm recommending to my kids, but <laughs> I, you know, I think statistically speaking, I'm probably an outlier, but no, I would agree. I don't think you have to go to college to be successful, but yeah, yeah. it probably does increase the, uh, the possibilities. So, right. It doesn't hurt your chances. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Right. I'm curious to know, like, so with you being a quote unquote college dropout and still being really successful in the fields that you've chosen, what are your kids looking to do? And, and why do you recommend that they go to college? I, that's a great question, Travis. And I've had that conversation. I'm like, look, I think I've told them, I said, look, I'm fortunate, but it was hard work. So I spend a lot of time with them on personal leadership, you know, making sure that mm -hmm. they're trying to really build their character. I don't really care how much, I mean, I do want them to be successful. And I think you can trace some success to dollars, but the real core of it is I don't really care how much money they make as long as they're happy and they're making good decisions. And mm -hmm. so more about their, their contributing their, to society. Yeah. Well. Being a positive. Yes, exactly. Right. So right. this episode of the show is brought to you by indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match 
and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I think that's one big thing that a lot of people miss when they go to college is they form a habit of institutional learning and not self-learning, right? Of institutional and formal education instead of self-education and continuously learning about things outside of that context. And I think that one of the things that I say about college is that that it it, it forms a bad habit based on learning. Like you get this idea that like once you graduate, you're done learning. You know what I mean? And like, uh, you don't got to do any learning anymore because, hey, I got my degree and this piece of paper says I'm an expert. So now just trust me. Travis, well, well, we'll get into that more later because you're absolutely onto something. And statistically speaking, most people don't pick up a book. The vast majority of people yeah. don't read a book after college. It's crazy. It is unbelievably crazy. A friend of mine, well, a previous guest on the show, Patrick Bed David, I don't know if you know who that is. He runs a, a nine figure life insurance financial planning company called People Helping People. And I saw a video of his recently. It has a, a valuetainment channel, is what he calls it, valuetainment on YouTube. And he's getting close to like a million subscribers on there too. It's like the number one entrepreneurial channel on YouTube and stuff. And he had a video on there, a room full of like 150 people that he was talking to. And he asked them, How many of you went to college? And like all the hands in the room went up. And he was like, how many of you since graduating college have read one business book by yourself? And like 85% of the room put their hands down. And it was just like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. We just, it, we stagnate. And anyway, so, yeah. but yeah. So going I mean, back to the story. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm working at Best Buy and I'm moving through, it's just, it fed my ADD. They were a growing company and they just gave me opportunity after opportunity. I ended up becoming a general manager for them. I was at the time, I believe, I don't know if it's a fad, but I was one of the youngest general managers, if not the, that they'd ever had. And I ended up running several different stores. Love the company, but frankly, it was retail. My wife and I had gotten married. We were planning on starting a family. And it just was uh, from a vision. It was the first time that I thought, you know what? I don't know that I can raise a family doing this. It's the first time that I kind of had a vision 
of what I wanted life to look like. And I knew that it wasn't being a father in retail wasn't what I wanted to be. Okay. So I um, left that, went to work for a, a small IT training company local here. And I was the uh, started as a sales manager with them. And I recruited straight commission sales professionals. We were the third fastest growing company in St. Louis. We had won several awards and ended up becoming the vice president, general manager, running it for the owner of the company and enjoyed that. I was with them about seven years. It, by the way, it was a phenomenal learning experience. The, the owner was probably one of the best mentors that I ever had. But the reality of it is it was just one of those jobs that had, you had a pit in your stomach that started you know, Sunday afternoon, about three o'clock, about halfway through the second football game of the day, it would start and it just didn't end until usually Saturday morning. Wow. After it got up. And so anyway, and I kind of got the itch to do something entrepreneurial and <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but I told my wife I was going to need to make a change. And she said, that's okay, Brian, just do me a favor. Don't take a straight commission job. Well, I had a friend that was in a mortgage business. <laughs> he got talking to me. He caught my ear. And for those that most mortgage professionals, the vast majority of them are straight commission and their job is to go out and find a client. Mm-hmm. Well, I chose to work for a local bank where he worked, still straight commission position, but my job was going to the community and find people find customers that needed a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was just gonna be difficult to do that. So I knew that I was going to need some strategic partnerships some people that trusted me. I needed to build a network of people that trusted me. And so to build a what now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why I was so jacked about, you know, getting on it's, it's building yeah. a network. Mm-hmm. Our mm-hmm. networks are, you know, there's so many analogies, but I just knew that I was going to have to do that. Yeah. Because I didn't want to do it the way everybody told me. I did a lot of interviews before I got in the industry. I called potential referral partners and I said, what do you like about your mortgage lender? What do you not like about them? Hmm. Did a lot of research. And I just said, well, bar is not very high in this industry. I know I can be successful if, they, if that's the bar. Right. So anyway, started that and been doing that since 2002. What did your wife have to say about that when you were like, okay, so listen, hear me out. <laughs> so I know well, that we had talked about, you know what I mean? How did that conversation go? Well, Travis, true story. I waited till she went out of town to accept the job. <laughs> so <laughs> no, I, I somewhat joke about that. That is true. She was out of town. She has been, although I will be honest with you, I don't think she, it's not her nature to like the inconsistency of the income. She's, yeah, yeah. she's been incredibly supportive. And, Gosh, how important is that, man? How important uh, is that? And if it weren't for her, uh, yeah, we could, that's a, by the way, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole podcast episode. Yeah, that, so. Exactly. Definitely. definitely. No, she's, she's been a huge supporter. Yeah. I mean, same for me, man. There's just zero chance I'd be able to do what I do if my wife were not supportive of it. I mean, sometimes I have just some crazy ideas and sometimes the money that I spend on coaching and mentorships and different things like that is just like, my wife is like, I can tell, you know, like that she's like... Sure. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or it better work out is kind of the other half. Right. Of it. So, yeah. yeah. No, I get it. But yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because it reminds me of a story of so my wife and I are high school sweethearts, and we were going to our version of prom. I grew up like extremely religious, so it was what we call it was we call it spring banquet. It was our version of prom, basically. Yeah. And we're going together, and we're supposed to match, right? And yeah. so I tell her. Or she asked me what color I wanted to wear. I literally did not care in the least. I was just like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. She's like, no, no, no. Tell me what color. Tell me color. Give me some guidance. And I was like, okay, fine. I was like, pick whatever color you want. Just don't pick yellow. And so like three days later, she comes up to me. She's like, I found my dress. And I was like, awesome. What color is it? And she goes, well, 
<laughs> and I was like, it's yellow, isn't it? And she was like, yeah, 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 but it's awesome. And blah, blah, blah. And I had this long story of why this was the perfect dress or whatever. But that's instantly what reminded me of like your wife saying like, yeah, do whatever you want. Do what, as long as it's not this. Not this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But then um, you chose that route and you ended up doing really, really well with it. Talk to me about that rise to the top. Like give us some real practicality here. Like give, like give us some steps. Like how did you actually go about doing this? How did you become in the top 1% of mortgage professionals in the country? Well, ambition is one of those things when your wife isn't working and you got kids that are four and two. So there's a want to, and there's a have to, when I started, it was a have to. So, <laughs> but truthfully, I didn't have money to spend on advertising. I didn't have money and I didn't really Although I did do a little bit of cold calling, not for to build my business, but really just to get some target practice, to to talk to people, to get comfortable with what I was doing, because yeah. I didn't I didn't really want to call my mom and dad and practice on them. Right. So literally, though, one of the first things, that, and I always recommend anybody getting into any business that they want to do it based off of referrals and connections and through their network is you got to I, I call it an in, what I call now is an inventory of relational assets, an IRA. Hmm. So just literally write down everybody you know. And that's what I did. I got out of yellow pad and I just started, you know, thinking about who I knew and I called them and I just said, Hey, I've made a career change. And I didn't call them to ask them for business, Travis. I called them to have a conversation, to let them know what I was doing, to catch up with them. And some people I had to apologize to because I hadn't spoken to in a while, but rather than I, I literally, I called them and I said, you know, I'm not calling you about a mortgage. I do need some help though. I'm looking for connections to real estate agents. I'm looking for you know, do you know any good financial advisors? Do you know any good CPAs? Do you know any good attorneys? Because those are going to be great connections for me. And I need, I'm going to need a good network of people that I can refer business to. Hmm. So it just kind of opened up. And so I would get a list of names. I literally probably had, you know, 50, 60 names after just spending a couple of days on the phone, talking to people that I knew. And I just started calling those people and trying to get, figuring out what they were doing for connecting people to mortgage professionals and what would happen if they came across somebody that needed a mortgage. And I tried to spend some time investing in what was important to their business. And it just led to some great conversations. And that has been the foundation of my business. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you focused on how you can refer business out to them too, right? So it kind of disarms the your friend or so the person that you haven't talked to in a while and says like, Hey, look, if you introduce me to this person, like I'm not just going to be drilling them and drilling them and drilling them and using up all your relationship capital with this person by asking them for 10 things. And then they're going to get mad at you for making an introduction to somebody that's really spammy and annoying. Like yeah. you get on the phone with them and then you say, Hey, look, I want this to be like a symbiotic relationship. I need somebody to send business to in this particular area. If I run across it, can you be that person? Awesome. Really cool. And then you start looking for ways to add value yep. to people. Can you talk about how important that was? Oh, well, first of all, I think the individuals, I think it's always edifying when somebody calls you and says, Hey, I'm interested in your business. So yeah, I would just, that's literally what we do. And it was always trying to figure out a way to add value. I think we all get into, and frankly, I think it's matured when you start your, you know, to be completely honest with you, the first couple of conversations were probably me show up and throw up about what I did. Right. But I think when you can get into, I think everybody's interested in a story. So one of the best things that, you know, tell me how you got started. I always wanted, because I was trying to pull some experience. If they weren't going to refer me and I wasn't going to get a potential client from them, that was okay because I could still learn from their business wisdom. Because yeah. these, these were CPAs, these were financial advisors, these were real estate agents. Mm -hmm. These were all people who were straight commission that I just wanted to glean. Not only did I want, hopefully, be able to refer them business and have them refer me business, but I wanted to be able to learn some business wisdom from them. So what did they suggest for a guy getting started in this business? 
Right. And it was just amazing. Some of the conversations that we're having. So what's next? Just started like going to town, started getting some business. Like what was next after that? So it was 2002. All that happens, you know, in the mortgage business, a lot of our industry is tied to what's happening in the market. Hmm. So I left a six figure job to get into the mortgage business and go straight commission. And I sat down with what was one of my mentors in the business. He says, so where, tell me what you did. And he goes, and you're getting into the business right now. Literally interest rates had just started to rise from what had been lows. I just kind of looked and by the way, I was too stupid to know. I didn't, I was just like, Hey, I got to make it. So (laughs) I didn't know that the interest rates were rising. I didn't really do that much research. I just knew that I wanted to get into a job where I had, that I could build something special where I would have the freedom of time and money. But anyway, what was next? I just started implementing, doing one-on-ones with individuals, following up, just trying to be conscientious. Yeah. yeah. Handwritten notes, following up with emails, trying to find some ways to add value to them. And so we just, I just kept doing that. And then, uh, lo and behold, things got busy within probably about four months, five months of being in the business. And I had about five or six files on my desk one day. I didn't have enough time to get to it. And I had about five or six people to call that needed some help. I went to my boss and I said, I can spend some time administrating these five or six files, or I can call these five or six people that want to refinance and purchase a home. Yeah. And he said, go talk to Ellen. She'll help you put that stuff in and you call these people. <laughs> so honestly, I just got into it. I had an assistant probably about six months and less than six months in the business. And nice. I just kept replicating that. So, so. You, you were working at a bank at the time. Was this bank like a local credit union or like were they paying out as much as some of these other like mortgage brokers and bankers? Or did you take a pivot after you started getting a hang with a business to work with one of them? That's a great question, Travis. And that's one of the little things. So there's different types of banks. And this happened to be a local community-based bank that had a very strong... Basically, it was a mortgage company within a bank. Hmm. So yes, the you know typically speaking, the payouts were much better than what you would see at a large national bank. Probably not as much if you were you're an independent broker, mm-hmm. but it was a good combination. I didn't have to worry about a lot of things. I just had to worry about... The thing for me... I just wanted to work, focus on building my network. Right. That's all I wanted right. to do. I didn't want to worry about, have to worry about payroll. I didn't want to have to worry about health insurance. So mm-hmm. I was an entrepreneur inside of a company. Is the yeah. best, is uh, the way I, an yeah. entrepreneur? Yeah, the entrepreneur. That's a yeah. I love it. I'm taking yeah. it. So yeah, I'll steal that one. There's somebody I was talking to recently uses that word like in every single one of their meetings. I want to say that it was Bedros Koulian, the CEO of Fitbody Bootcamp. Really, uh, I mean, they have like a 650 franchises now, like across the world or something like that. And that's the way that he describes it is like, we're in a, an uptick of entrepreneurship currently where like entrepreneurship is the cool thing to do. Where maybe some people, well, probably a lot of people shouldn't even really be toying around with the entrepreneurship thing. They should be toying around with the entrepreneurship, like doing being entrepreneurial within a certain context to allow yourself to maximize your income level with none of the stress and still have a great opportunity to get in and learn from somebody. Right. So that sounds exactly. That's exactly what I had. That is exactly what I had. So obviously 2002 markets going up, 2003 markets going up, 2004 markets exploding, 2005. It's crazy. Everybody's jumping in, getting their slice of the pie. What are you thinking during that time? I'm still building. I mean, it is, I am business building mode. I am still trying to build connections. I'm looking for great referral partners. You know, things are going well. It it was crazy. That was the, fortunately, subprime never really felt right to me. So I didn't really build my business around that. Okay. When it comes to networking and business, to me, there's just, I don't go for bright and flashy usually. 
Okay. So when you say it didn't feel right, was it like, it didn't feel right from an integrity standpoint or didn't feel right from a business or numbers standpoint, like just something about it just didn't make sense. So you just tried to avoid it. I did. I tried to avoid it, you know, without getting overly, I mean, put it this way. There were a lot of loans that people didn't, shouldn't have been in. And I, I, it was hard to make a decision on that, but when somebody, you know, I just didn't feel right doing loans that I didn't personally feel like I would extend my own capital to if I were making a loan. And that, I don't want to get too righteous on that because I just didn't like subprime. It just, the fees were high. The products were not all that safe. And so I just had, I had an aversion to it. I could have made a lot of money doing them. Oh, for sure. A lot of people did. But my client, the client- For about a year and a half. Exactly. (laughs) And I've always been in this. This has always been a long game for me. I'm like, how do I do this? If reputation is the only thing I got, I want to make sure it's a good one. So I always was playing in the long game of this relationship could be somebody that could refer me for 10 years, 15 years, right, right. whether it be a client or a real estate agent or a financial advisor. I was always trying to do the right thing because I might, you know, and it's, it's easy to lose a name and I didn't want to risk it. So, well, if you were to look back and attribute your ability to stick through one of the worst real estate crises in American history, if you're to look back and correlate something to that, wouldn't you say that that would be probably at the top of the list? Yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, it actually ended up being, you know, when the crisis hit, frankly, I had already had my worst years. And what I mean by that is, is the credit had dried up and I don't want to get too much into the mortgage side unless you're, you want me to dive in a little bit more, but 2006, uh, my first 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006, I was up all of those years in my business as I was building it. Mm -hmm. 2007, I was up, but it was barely. Mm -hmm. 2008 was a grind. Hmm. And I was still up that year, but I had to, I was working my butt off 2009 hit. And when the crisis hit, the government came in and I happened to work for what Forbes ranked as one of the best banks in the country. We took no TARP funds. I mean, honestly, I was blessed in a big way because I had been recruited other places, but I chose to stay. And the company that I was working for central bank was just amazing, small community-based bank, but we could do business nationwide. And frankly, we had programs and access to us. We took no TARP funds. So the government wasn't intervening in our business at that time. Hmm. And it was just a blessing. So there were some programs that the government came out through Fannie Mae and Freddie. We just, honestly, I was, and because I'd been building a database, I was busier in 2009 than I had been the previous probably two years. Wow. So 2009, 10, 11, 12 were all record years. So Really? Record years? Record years. So that's kind of what I want to talk to you a little bit more about because this is something that I've been trying to talk about more recently. So I'm a millennial. I have only known a blissful economy, meaning that since I've been working, you know, like I graduated high school in 2010. So like that's two, three years after the market crashed, right? So when I'm still living with mom and dad and then I'm going to college. And so when I start working, it's like 2011, 2012, right? So I've only known this economy on an uptick. I've only known the upswing of the economy, which makes me, with my limited perspective and context, think really optimistically about the future, which isn't necessarily a bad thing unless you do it without having an air of being realistic about Mm -hmm. it as well, if that makes sense. What I'm trying to do is trying to get people that are in a similar boat that I'm in as far as like they haven't really experienced anything like what you've gone through to not just survive the down economy, but to thrive in the down economy, which it sounds like is something that you definitely did during one of the worst crashes in American history in the industry that felt it the most. I would even argue that mortgages felt it more than the real estate industry. Like, I mean, I know that they're all in the same industry, quote unquote, but as far as like, I think that a mortgage broker probably felt it more than a real estate agent did. 
because of all the different rules and regulations and TILA and RESPA and all those other yep. things put into effect at that time. So yep. can you talk a little bit about how you were able to thrive in the down economy in one of the you know worst times and one of the worst industries to be in? Well, we did a lot of honestly. So somebody once asked me, said if you had a th- if you were starting in business again and you had a thousand bucks to spend, what would you spend it on? Travis, in my opinion, I would buy a database. I'd buy the best CRM that I could afford because I wanted to put my connections. When I meet somebody, I want to know who I met and I track where all my referral partners come, where all my referrals come from. Mm-hmm. So if I want to pick up the phone and so I know how I got connected to you, Scott Beebe. So if you were going in my database on the mortgage side, I would know who connected. So the point is I'd spend it on a database. And the reason for that is because when I got to 2000, when 2009, 10 and 11 hit, I had six, seven years worth of clients, you know, every networking event that I got that I went and I got a business card, these people went into my database and I would send them an email and a handwritten note just so that it wasn't foreign if they got an email from me. Hmm. I can't say that I connected with all of them, but I still continue to do I would send something called a success story. I would say, Hey, here's what's going on. And here's how we help the client do this. Here's the problem the client had. Here's what we did to help. Here's the situation. And we just started to craft that. And that absolutely blew. Every time I would send that out, my pipeline would go increase by probably 15 to 25%. Hmm. It was just crazy. But it was doing a lot of database marketing and just staying in touch, working what, what they say in the industry is working your database. Problem is most people don't, they don't have a database. And if they do have a database, they don't collect their connections and put them in there. So. Hmm. Got anyway, it. so a lot of it was literally building that network. There's no question. Hmm. The database was my network. Right, right. So that is, I've given a few tips to people, like when, when people have asked me that question, like, well, how do you plan on doing it? Like, how do you plan on, you know, thriving and stuff in the down economy? And I say, first of all, I want cash. Like I want money. I want liquid cash to be able to have buying power during that time. But I the other thing that I say is like, so work on building up your cash reserves, but also I say work on building up your relationship reserves because no question. a down economy can wreck your bank account and it can wreck your IRA and your 401k and your mutual funds and all of that stuff. But the one thing it can't take away from you is your relationships. How crucial is it for people to understand this? Travis, it is the, in my opinion, it's the number one thing. If it hadn't been for that, because most of my business, again, my business was all referred to me. Now I did have a database of past clients, which was very beneficial. But the thing that I had was relationships. There's a financial advisor that I had gotten to know. And we are, I mean, uh, this guy has been probably responsible for probably about 15% of my business. If I were to go back and take a look at it, one guy. Wow. wow. And so the network is it. And then that the interesting part, it was, to me, it was so important Travis, that, and I think I may have shared with you, I've been running an event tomorrow is going to be our seven year anniversary of an event that I started in 2011. Wow. Wow. So, 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 so from it, 2011 to 2018, you've been running this, this like meetup group, right? Yep. How um, many people were in it when you first started and how many people go to it now? Well, there was a, a guy by the name of Michael Mayer who wrote a book called seven levels of communication I spoke to him a couple of times and actually went to one of his events and he wrote a great book. The book is awesome. And it had talked about many of the concepts that I shared with you about how I, and he had encapsulated it so well. And it just tapped into a passion for me. I'm like, I need to share this. He encouraged me to start an event. I got named Mastermind St. Louis, August of 2011. We had maybe 15 people. Hmm. And the entire purpose of the event, I mean, honestly, I was busier than I could have imagined at that point in time. But there was just this heart 
the, of wanting to provide some hope to some professionals who were struggling real estate. There were other mortgage professionals and I just love teaching. I'm an encourager and a teacher. (laughs) I love doing it. So when Michael said, Hey, you ought to start an event. I'm like, boom. So we spent some time talking about Michael's book for a while and just really trying to help people build a relationship-based business. And by helping others, by thinking of others first, there's, you've probably, I can tell if you haven't heard it, you're going to love the book, Give and Take by Adam Grant. Yeah, Um, it's one of the best, man. Oh, it is phenomenal. And so what we try to do is just build a culture of, you know, not the givers at the bottom of the success ladder. We're trying to help the givers get to the top of the success ladder. And it's just interesting when you start talking about giving and you just have an event, it's, I call it a shared learning event. Is it a networking event? Mm, not entirely, but does networking happen? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is it a training event? Not entirely, but does training happen? Absolutely. It's just amazing what happens when you get together and you get multiple people together that are learning at the same time. There's an energy in the room that just explodes. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it just kind of caught fire. We've outgrown, I think, three or four locations now. It's a free, we started with free and we did get a couple of sponsors after a while, but it became, that's really become the passion because this event is just really the desire, the design of the, the event is to, we want to change these live local events, in my opinion, can change the way business is done in our community in a positive manner. Oh, and, yeah. and so it's been fun. So relationships were key and I wanted to teach other people how to build relationships and do it in a selfless way, not a self-serving way. Right. So it's just been amazing. Well, the big thing is that that's the best way to do it. Like that's the, the problem is that most people will look at it and be like, well, I want to have an event that gets 200 and 250 people together every single month. How much money could I make off of that? Right. And then they go into it with that mindset. And then they like, uh, just- it- just try to outspend the work that they should have done to build it up. They're not thinking about value adds to other people. They're thinking about how, what can I get from it? Like, how can I possibly make this win for me? You know, you know, it is. And frankly, I had somebody say, well, are, you know, are you going to let your competitors come to this? And I'm like, yes. I said, if I, if I draw a line somewhere, then it's going to, then we're, it, it, that's not the intent of the event. Right. You know, and we've all heard it. I mean, Zig said, if you help enough, just help enough people get what they want, you can have everything you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just a selfless mindset. It's been amazing. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Grant Cardone on the show. I don't know if you follow any of his stuff, but he is very much like an in-your-face, like marketer, salesman, like totally, totally in-your-face, kill the competition kind of a guy, right? So I was interviewing him and we're talking about this. And his answer to this question was really, really intriguing to me because he said, he like, he looked at me right, right in the eyes and he was like, look, man, competition is dead. That's a dead art. The future is collaboration. And I was like, man, like that's a concept that I've gotten from other people on the show. But hearing someone like Grant say that, that is, you would think would be the total opposite, right? You would think if like, if anybody's still in that like old school mindset of like compete, 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 don't help anybody, don't give my knowledge away. Like you'd think Grant would be that person, but he wasn't. And it was really, really stuck out to me. And so I've found that the most successful people that I've come in contact with are the people that view it that way. They're open to share ideas with their competitors. They're open to talk about what they're doing in their business that's working or to give business to other people that might be in direct competition with them. But the thing is, if you're on the other side of that, if you're still in that competition mindset, a lot of times scarcity comes with that, right? The scarcity mindset that there's not enough business to go around. So I have to scrape and scrap and take every single little bit and piece that I can possibly get my hands on. Whereas if you have the abundance mindset, 
than like what you're doing, Brian. Like you're not worried that a competitor of yours, that a mortgage broker comes to your event and like meets a realtor there and you didn't monetize that transaction. It doesn't really matter to you because you added value to somebody else that they're going to keep in mind for later. And that psychological bias of reciprocity is definitely going to be in the equation at that point. But even if it doesn't work out and they're just a taker, who cares? Because you can get this person, this person, and this person to get a mortgage with you. Yeah. Right. Travis, you just nailed it, dude. <laughs> I mean, that encapsulates the scarcity. And I think anytime we get into the scarcity mindset, it just limits the possibilities. And yeah. just having that, imagine having this conversation, what you just said, imagine the light bulbs that go off in people's head when there's two, whether it's two people or whether it's 200 people in the room, that's what a shared learning event does. And I'm just telling you, there is a change in people's outlook. It changes the way they think, the way they feel and the way they act. And there's just a, an air of positivity and it's electric and it encourages people to take the next step to do the right thing and building for the long run. It encourages them to pick up a book they might not have picked up if they hadn't been at the event. Hmm. It's just, it's been an amazing journey. So yeah, yeah. really cool. Well, let me ask you this, Brian, this is a question I ask everybody that comes onto the show, who, you know, or what, you know, which one's more important and why? Man, what's the title of your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, regardless of what the title of your podcast is, it's who you listen. If I had to pick, because we all know, generally speaking, this, and I, I can't speak to every profession, but generally speaking, whether it's real estate, mortgage, it's usually we've all seen the individual who we know is not as competent as us mm-hmm. get business. Yep, exactly. So it's definitely not what you know to be successful. Now I'm not saying you don't have to be competent, but competence, you know, to me, when I'm looking for competence to me is at the core levels, like the electric company. When I turn on the light switch, the light better come on. Otherwise they're incompetent Mm -hmm. in the mortgage. I better be able to get the results that I'm saying, which is to close, you know, to give a CEO experience, you know, consistent. Mm -hmm. I just want to give that CEO experience to everybody. But when it comes to, I'd rather it it would be who, you know, because I can probably trace back probably 20% of my business over the last 10 years to two relationships. Hmm. Yep. That's the biggest thing is what you were just talking about. That's why I always come back to the who, because there's somebody out there that's not as good at what you do as you are, but they make more money and do better because they had more connections because they knew more people because more opportunities were in front of them and they seized those opportunities. They spent more of their time working on their who than they spent on their what. And like you said, there has to be a level of competence. You have to be competent, but you don't have to be the number one expert in the world on that certain topic. You know, like there's always going to be somebody better than you, but you can be the most well-networked and be way more successful than the person who knows the most about it. And to me, that's evidenced in the people who teach this stuff, right? Like the professor who teaches mortgages at, you know, or teaches certifications programs or like teaches this and that, like they're on a sixty, seventy thousand dollar a year salary. Yep. You know, they're obviously extremely knowledgeable about the subject, but yep. never did enough things. And I'm not bashing them at all. No. I'm just like I'm just saying that there's a clear line between the who you know and the what you know. Like I've never seen somebody who knows everything and has zero connections do super well. But I have seen people that know not a lot of things, but have an insane amount of connections do super well, like way more often. Well, Travis, I don't know how you feel, but to me, I think the individuals, at least as, as I get into understanding influence, I think personal development plays a bigger role in your ability to influence others than anything else that I could imagine. Hmm. 
So I think the individuals, and I'm not saying there's not individuals, but I would just, you mentioned, I mean, look at the names that you've had on this show. I guarantee you, every one of them is an avid, is avidly developing personally, mm-hmm. challenging themselves. That to me has just been the key. So, you know, I'm a big Jim Rohn fan. I'm a little bit older than you. You may not even know who he is. So oh, no, Jim Rohn's I just, yeah, one of my go-tos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I'll probably butcher the quote, but he's like, you know, if you want to reach the things on the top shelf of life, you've got to stand on the books you read. Hmm. And whether it's a book, honestly, podcast, I mean, that you can learn so much from a podcast like this. I mean, just the ability to develop yourself because that's where you can add value to other people. And I always had this vision when I started the event, I thought, how cool would it be? Really, who would I need to become rather than me calling on real estate agents that they're calling on me? What about financial advisors? What would it take for me to be a person that they would want to spend time with me versus me reach, having to reach out to them? Right. That's the purpose. This shared learning event has been my training for that because hmm. it forced me every month I had to show up having learned something that I thought the rest of the room might find some encouragement. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. If you want to learn something, teach it. Exactly. And I was forced. I'd put something on the third Thursday of every month and I had to show up and add value. Right. That's the whole birth of this entire podcast, man, is like, I've always known that uh, networking is like one of the most important skills to have. To me, if you know how to network and you know how to sell, you can do anything you want in life. And so I had spent five years knocking on doors. I've a door-to-door salesman and I had sharpened that skill a lot, but I hadn't spent that much time sharpening my networking ability. So I started a show on networking, not really <laughs> knowing anything about it so that I could get to know the people that I've gotten to know on the show and ask them how to do it better. And now through 150 plus episodes now, like I can't help but naturally be better at it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean? Yeah. Oh, man, that is... That is a be- I love that concept, Travis. That is so identical. You just chose to do the podcast route and yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, that is yeah. so cool. Well, cool, Brian. I mean, it sounds like me and you have a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff in common and we could probably talk for another couple of hours, but we are running out of time. So let's go ahead and move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Mm-hmm. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Well, if I were just going back in for the money, the one thing, financial services, one that I would have contemplated, but I am truthfully as the, uh, this mastermind event has gotten off and going, I'm actually pursuing the coaching, the training, the speaking is one that you mentioned a religious background. I happen to be a believer as well. And I'm learning to integrate my faith and my business. And what I do know is that one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of encouragement. And so there comes some training and there comes some speaking from that. So what else would it be? I'd probably do some coaching, some training, and some speaking. I'd like to be a professional encourager if I, had, if I could pick that. So, If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? You know, I would look at some individuals who had to have an, a maximum amount of courage. By the way, there is a religious tone here, but the Apostle Paul, <laughs> I think that's going to be a great cup of coffee someday. Yeah, regardless of if you're religious or not, you can't deny that the dude... Uh, dude, yeah, that was his courage. <laughs> yeah, he's a, pretty, he's a pretty good salesman himself. Yeah, He's a, yeah. not a bad marketer for not having any... any exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that would be one, Martin Luther, and then, you know, probably some guys around the Declaration of Independence. That would be, I just can't imagine the courage it took to lay everything on the line. So guys like that. How do you like to consume content best? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm a junkie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Next question. I, I'm a uh, podcast, uh, Audible. I do like YouTube. Uh, I don't use it 
as much as the other two probably. I am, but I can tell you if I'm going to go to Amazon, I got a book fetish I'm sitting here in a library and it just makes me feel smarter by having these books. And <laughs> yeah. So what's an audiobook that you've listened to recently that you'd recommend? Oh man, we're uh, part of a mastermind group that I'm part of right now, which is where I know Scott Beebe, we're going through the one thing. It's just one of those principle-based books. That's, a, that's such a great one. That's such a yeah. I'm actually, uh, this episode is probably going to be releasing around the same time as my episode with Jay Papazan, the co-author of that book. Oh, congratulations, man. That's a score and tell him thank you for writing the book. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's one of my favorites as well. So highly recommend listening to that one. Yep. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Gratitude. I try to journal every morning, write down three to five things I'm grateful for. I try to put some affirmations in there big wins for the previous day. I usually start there and I do like to spend some time in the word. And so I'll try to get over there. I'm part of a, a group that kind of requires it. <laughs> I think accountability is <laughs> awesome. So, and then I'm usually, uh, after reading the one thing, I need to probably spend some more time on my one thing and identifying that and doing some content creation regarding this shared learning event concept. Cause I, there's just some people that want some stuff from me and I think I can help them. So I need to put some content together on that. But that's kind of what I'm trying to get really focused on things that are going to move me closer to the vision that I have. So what is your go-to pump-up song? Wow. Go-to pump-up song. That's a great one. If you have to have one, it's one I was listening to this weekend. I think it's by Hillsong. It's called Wonder. That would be one. That's obviously more of a spiritual one. I don't know. I'll leave it at that one for now. I could probably come up with a couple others. What is something that you were just not very good at? Mm, specifics. Specifics. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Details. Yeah. I, when I was with Best Buy, I used to joke with my assistant manager and say, they gave me the title of general manager because I'm not very good at specifics. <laughs> so I'm usually a bigger picture guy. And when it gets into the details, sometimes I need to surround myself with good people that when details are involved. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Brian, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? Currently, probably my website, Brian K. McRae. And that's one that's been launched here recently. I'm not an expert at that yet. This has really been kind of a passion project. But the uh, Mastermind event locally has launched a coaching and training and speaking business. And so evolving that, but that's probably the best place to find uh, more about me. Brian K. McRae dot com. McRae is M-C-R-A-E. Please head over there, check out some stuff that Brian is up to. I think you're going to be hearing his name a lot more mm. in the near future. So Brian, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. I had a blast chatting. Travis, you got something special going on here, man. Thanks for sharing and having the courage to get up and running with this. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show because they're literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is something that you are interested in at all, then hit me up and let's chat to see if you'd be a good fit for my mastermind, Build Your Network Dynasty. Just head over to buildyournetwork.co slash dynasty to fill out an application and we'll talk soon. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.